Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. It is so good to see you this morning. Hey, a few things. This is an incredible problem to have, but I'm going to need your help real quick. If you see people who are walking in looking for a place to sit, it's going to be hard for them to crawl over you to get to a seat. So if you have the ability, I'm asking you with all that I am, if you could scoot in as much as possible because we still have some people uh, who are trying to find seats this morning. This is an incredible thing. We're so, so thankful for that. Hey, first thing I want to do this morning uh, is I want to let you in on this cool little uh, worship guide that we have for the next four weeks. It looks like this. Many of you picked one up on the way in, but if you did not get one and you would like one for the sermon. Now, just to be clear, it's just got places uh, to take notes. You, you can take notes on any old piece of paper, but if you want this new coolness, uh, all you have to do right now is just simply raise your hand and we have some staff members that are going to come and bring this to you. So if you would like one, just simply raise your hand. While that is happening, I want to welcome our newest congregational guest, and I would not say guest, let's change it, our new congregational attendees this morning, our K-4 and K-5 children. Can we give them a, round, a hand of a clap of praise this morning? Hopefully, when you walked in, kiddos, parents of kiddos, you received a purple bag, and I am thankful that I'm considered K-4 and K-5 because I got one too. Let me tell you what's inside this survival kit, okay? So this is one of the only Sundays that we will offer this to you, but I want you to be aware. You can bring your own survival kit. If you need helps on that, Mary Joy Braddy would be able to tell you all about all the things you need uh, to get through one of Daddy's long sermons, okay? But inside your, your bag today, you are going to have your very own sermon notes notebook. And so we're very thankful that you're going to have that. Uh, you're also going to have some color sheets and some information for mom and dad to let you know what's going Going on, but what's a color sheet without colors? Inside you will find colors as well, but I would be remiss if I didn't tell you my most favorite thing that these bags contain. What do you think it is? It's snacks. I'm thankful for famous Amos and all the cookies that he's ever made his entire life. You're going to get some of that in your bag today. And then also, if that wasn't enough, you're also going to get some Rice Krispie treats today. And so you have everything you need to survive the next 35 minutes for us together. But the last thing that I want us to do for these little kiddos, because I know they're itching to do it and they'll never probably be able to do this again, or at least not without mom and dad looking at them and giving them the side eye. If you are a K4 or K5 and today is your day to be in here, would you stand up in your chair this morning? Go ahead and stand up. We want to see you standing tall. We are so thankful you are here today. Hey, I want parents, parents, hear me out. Okay, you may be seated. Please be careful as you are being seated. But parents, hear me out. I know some of you are nervous. You're like, Josh, y'all don't know what you're getting into with my kid being in this room. I promise you I know what we're getting into. And we are here for all of it. I think one of the most sobering sounds in a church is silence. Because if, if, if a church is always silent, there's no sign of life in that church. And so I am thankful for a church that not only loves people, but loves people from the youngest to the oldest, and everybody is welcome in this room. And so K4 and K5s, we are so thankful for you today, and we're glad that you're going to join us this morning. Now, on to our sermon today. Guys, we are starting a brand new sermon series called Home. 
That is what you're looking at whenever you see our screens and when you get this worship guide and you can pick it up over the course of the next four weeks as we journey through this series together. Now, you say, Josh, it's August. Don't you in August usually remind us of the expectations of every member of the church? Well, of course we do, but you know, because who we are, we've got to repackage it and make it look cool, right? This is that plus. At some point in these next four weeks, you're going to hear the expectations that we have of you. But before we get into that, we want to explain who we are as a church. So today, in our sermon today, we are going to answer two questions. Who we are and what we will do. Because maybe you're here today and you say, Josh, I've been to Broadmoor my whole life, but I'm not very clear on what our mission as a church is. Well, today I want to clear that up for you. But maybe you're here today and today's day one. You are just visiting. Or maybe you've been here for a very short while and you're saying, hey, I think I want to be a part of this church, but I want to know what you're about. What, what is it that you are going to, if my family were to be a part of this, how will you encourage us? to follow the Lord Jesus, and what will you challenge us to do? So over the course of these next four weeks, those questions, hopefully, in God's grace, are going to be answered. But today we look at those two questions. Who are we, and what will we do? Well, we know that the Scriptures mandate us, and if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 28. This is the Great Commission. This is something that more than likely you have heard, uh, at least I would say in the last 12 months, five times from me from this platform. And and if I were to be honest, I would say that's probably not enough. Because I believe with with all that I am, this is the call on the life of every believer. Now, whatever platform God has trusted to you and however that is played out is going to be unique as you are unique, but this call rings true for every person who have repented of their sin and put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. So we know that the mission that God has called us to is the Great Commission. We're going to speak more to that in just a moment, and then we're going to end our time today looking at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Functionally, how is this this mission lived out? But what does, the, what does Jesus, when he gave the Great Commission, do, do you remember the timeline of that? It wasn't like his regular teaching. The timeline between his resurrection and his ascension is 40 days. 40 days, it's recorded, he has has walked on this earth. After he has come back from the dead, he walks around 40 days, uh, revealing himself to many different people, teaching, and, and in this moment, giving them the mission for the rest of their lives. But I don't want you to miss the tension that these disciples would have felt, and I pray that we feel today. And I'll do that by, by kind of letting you in. Uh, I say often, If you knew me fully, you would pray for me more often. You know, quirky is not even the right right place to start. But I have weird dreams. I don't know if you guys even dream. I I dream all the time, and they're always strange. I mean strange dreams. Like, like, Like you walk into a room, and then you're in a whole different country, and you walk into another room, and you're falling, and then you, you somehow go through a window, and now you're staring at an elephant. I, I don't know. It's just some weird and wacky and crazy dreams. But sometimes the dreams that I have are very vivid, and they're concerning to me. And I had one of those this week. And I wouldn't call it a nightmare because it wasn't. 
But it really was a concerning dream. And so here is my dream. It is a little morbid, I will admit, but a lot of my dreams are. It was a dream that I had died, but for some reason, I didn't go to heaven yet. That somehow I had one day left to tell people that I loved them. And, and I don't know what, what caused me to have that dream. You know, a lot of times, things that we experience in life, things that we go through, kind of, kind of play out in our dreams. And this week was pretty heavy with some news that, that, we, that we received uh, with some friends of ours. Uh, I, I had a, an opportunity to go lay uh, one, of, one of my mentors in life to rest yesterday back in Picayune. Uh, and, 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 you know, as a pastor, we hear often about people who are sick and people who are, have passed away. And so, so maybe that plays out there. Maybe, maybe it's the grab-and-go sushi that I get from Kroger three times a week. I don't, I don't know, but I really love that stuff. I don't know how fresh it is, but I don't care because it is delicious and it's $9.99. So just whatever, whatever you need to think about me, think about that, okay? I don't know what it was, but I do know that when I woke up, I had this, this strange sense of urgency. I knew it was a dream, and, and again, it wasn't a nightmare. It wasn't like I was fearful of it. It was just, it was there. And, and as I dreamt, I was, I was thinking through all the people that I wanted to see and what I wanted to say to them and the urgency that I had because it was almost like I had a clock ticking backwards to zero, and when zero hit, I knew that I wouldn't be here anymore. And so I wanted to be urgent with the time that I had left. And so I don't know what this means, but when I woke up, the first thing I did that morning because family was still sleeping, and so I would love to say, I told you guys, I love you so much, but the first thing I did was go grab a cup of coffee and wash the dishes. I don't know why that was urgent, but felt like maybe I needed to wash the dishes before my time was up. I don't know. But all that silliness aside, if you only had a few more days on the earth and you, you knew it, how great a sense of an urgency would that create in you? How important would the conversations be that you would take part in. Now, I know in this illustration, and this is what it is, that I am putting my humanity on the divinity of Jesus. But I don't think it's off base. Because right before Jesus ascends back into heaven, he gathers his disciples and gives them the mission, the thing that they are to spend the rest of their life completing. Jesus is laser-focused in this moment, making it crystal clear what they are to do. And when you read what they said to them, what he said to them, you can almost feel the weight of that moment. And here is how that moment went down. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now why is there 11 and not 12 disciples? Do you remember who was the one who fell away? Judas. Sometimes in the scriptures, we read something so much that we can become inoculated to its power and strength, and we miss out on the weight that God is calling us to feel as we are reading in this sacred word. So this is Matthew's gospel account. As we read it, this moment seems the most normal out of all the gospel writers. Maybe that's why we like to get our great commission from Matthew chapter 28, and not from Luke and not from John. Luke and John's accounts are a little bit more unsettling for the disciples. Here's why. Evidently, they are in a locked room during the Great Commission. 
They're in a locked room because they are hiding from the Jews because it's the thought that, well, they've killed Jesus and now they're coming after us. So they are in hiding, door is locked, more than likely in whispered tones. And what what Luke and John record is in the middle of their discussion, Jesus appears. Now, let let that settle in, okay? Because up up until this point, the women have seen him in the resurrection and a few of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. But so many others had not seen him yet. They'd only heard whisperings of, hey, we saw the Lord, he's back. And others like, no, you didn't. He's dead. We put him in the tomb. What are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, they're all gathered as Jesus told them to gather. And the door is locked and they're in whispered tones. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them. If that's you, what do you think? This is a weighty text here. The disciples are gathered together, and Matthew says this happened, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. You think some doubted? Do you think some sat there and said, what is going on? Is is this real life? How in the world is this even possible? Whatever they were thinking, Jesus gave some clarity and perspective to the situation and all the situations that will soon unfold for their lives. Guys, so again, we know this story. We've read the, the Acts of the Apostles. So, so Luke is the gospel writer of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And so whenever we read the New Testament, again, if, if you are part of daily Bible reading plans and you've done this for years, you know how the story unfolds. But just for a moment, put yourself in this place And a man that you watched die, and you were a part of putting his body in a tomb, and there had been rumors that he is now alive again, is standing before you. What do you do? Well, Matthew records that that they worshiped. Like, effectively, what he writes is they all worshiped. But some of them doubted, like, they're worshiping and saying, I don't understand. I don't understand how this, this, is, this is going to be. And, and I, could, I could almost, as I read through the New Testament, I could almost feel the tension of Jesus speaking, and you don't know what's coming next. You have no clue what you are about to be involved in. And so here is the clarity that he gives to them. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, so we have to remember that the Jews were waiting on the Messiah, a Messiah that had all power and authority. So right now, this tracks. Because from from the Old Testament, from, from the prophecies, they were waiting on the one who would come with all power and all authority and set up an earthly kingdom and rule and reign. In this season of life, particularly, the, the Jews were being run by Rome. Rome was not very kind to them. And so if the Messiah was to come, they could not wait because when he came, Rome would be overthrown and the Jews would be back in power. And so Jesus speaks to them at the end, after his death, after his burial, after the resurrection, and in that between time before the ascension, he comes to them and he tells them, gentlemen, all power and authority has been given to me. 
But there was a reason so many Jews did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Like I said, they believed that the Messiah would come in, in might and power, not be born in a stable, not be from Nazareth. As the scripture records, what good can come from Nazareth? Not the son of Joseph, the carpenter. Not the son of Mary, the unmarried pregnant teenager. How in the world, just those four descriptors, how in the world can the Son of God be born in this situation? Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge the Lord and he will make straight your paths. They had the answer all along. They just didn't want to see it. They wanted something different. They wanted power for themselves to put themselves up on a pedestal. And Jesus said, I've got power and authority given to me, but it's going to be used differently. When Jesus shows up to meet his disciples, he tells them that he has, by the Father's grace, all power and authority in heaven and on earth. Surely they are now thinking. Because remember, they're hiding from the Jews. Surely they are thinking, yes, now is our time. Now is the moment that we have been waiting on. This is when he comes in, in might and power. They had to be thinking also, whatever he says next is the thing. Because he has all power and authority, because we are his, whatever it is, we're going to do it because we know it's going to be great. And then Jesus says something that, will change their lives forever and ours too. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The literal reading of this passage says this. Make disciples. That is the lead imperative. So in, in this, this list of commands, in, in, our, in our translation it says, go therefore, make disciples. And sometimes we, we think that the, the Great Commission is based on go. Like, like this idea of fulfilling the Great Commission is, is we need a passport or we need a mission trip or we need this, this, this uh, an intentional going uh, and as, as if it is different than our, our everyday life. But guys, when we read this and we understand true context and the call that these disciples were receiving and we receive today, here's what Jesus is saying. The call on your life, because I have all power and authority given to me by the Father, is for you to make disciples and you will do that three ways. First is to go, or actually rather better put, as you are going. You say, Josh, what's the difference in go and as you are going? It is this. Sometimes, going back to what I just said, sometimes we view go as, okay, different than my life, I'm going to now tell somebody about Jesus. Different than my job, I'm now going to go do something and tell somebody about what God has done for me. And what Jesus says is, as you are going in your regular life, make disciples. This disciple-making effort is not going to be something extra. It's going to be the thing. It is going to be what you and I, 
what the redeemed of the Lord will leverage the wrath of our breathing days on this side of eternity for. So as we are going, we are to make disciples. Second thing he calls them to do in this distinctive is to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, so I think this is important for us because in, in, in the world that we live in, a lot of times what we want to do is we want to be nice in Jesus' name. We want to be kind in Jesus' name. We want to do good deeds in Jesus' name. We want to do all the things that we think are good. And listen to me, I do think it's good. Christians should be nice. Christians should do good things. But Jesus is very clear in his declaration to the disciples of what this great commission is going to look like. You will intentionally live the life trusted to you in a pointed way to call people to a response to Jesus Christ. Now that is different than we live, I think. Because again, a lot of times we wanna say, hey, I need you to come hear my preacher. He's gonna tell you about Jesus. And I love to tell people about Jesus. Or you need to come to my life group, they're gonna tell you about Jesus. Or you can come to this meeting and we're gonna tell you about Jesus or whatever this is. What Jesus is telling these disciples, because all power and authority has been given to him, that they are to go as they are going to make disciples and to call them to repentance. To call them to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and listen, don't miss this. There's actually the physical aspect to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I know we haven't explained it, I think, uh, super, with super clarity um, in, a, in a little bit. So let me, let me try to do that. So whenever we have baptism, we go right there. For the most part, we're there. Do you know why we use the picture of, of, of water? A lot of times we'll ask this question to kids, you know, what does is, what is the water symbolize? They're like, well, I'm really dirty and I get baptized. And so I take a bath and I come out and I'm clean. And I think that's cute, but that's not the story. It's, it's a little more heavy than that. What that symbolizes is a grave that we are dead in our sin. And we are buried with Christ, so we are put into the grave with Christ who is the only person on this earth that was ever put into a grave and then was raised to life to never die again? Jesus Christ. So if we want to be buried with anybody, who do you want to be buried with? Jesus Christ. So the baptism is an outward expression of the inward change that's happened of us dying to our sin but being raised to new life in Christ. Oh, church, don't miss Discipleship is evangelism. You can't make a disciple if you don't tell the good news. The good news is that we were dead, but God in his grace has brought us to life again through the Son, Jesus Christ. So they are to go as they are going to, to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then here's the last part that I think hangs us up. And you say, well, Josh, that last part is kind of making me nerve-wracking to actually tell somebody they need to put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. No, no, this last one's really going to get you because it's the one that gets me. Here's what Jesus says to them. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Essentially, teaching them to do everything that I've taught you to do. Don't rush over this 
or through this. Okay? Jesus is not calling his disciples to go and make someone else a member of the, of the religious club. Josh, what do you mean by that? He is not saying to them to go and say this, do this, pay this, and now welcome to the club. But how many times, if we're honest, do we have that view when it comes to evangelism and church growth? I really want you to come and be a part of my church because I think if you're a part of my church, then, then, then you'll know Christ. Listen, you can be a part of a church and be lost as a goose. Being a church member does not make one saved. To be surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ makes us saved. And how will you know that you need to do that if nobody tells you? That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. The message, it is heavy. It is big. It is, it is not this idea of, well, come and say this prayer. Don't do those bad things. You got, you got bad things that you do? Yeah, well, quit doing those bad things. Hey, matter of fact, why don't you sign this card? Start giving a tithe and we'll call you good. All right, let me, let me flip that, that coin a little bit. How many of us base our eternal security on the fact that we have said something, that we have done or stopped doing something, and we pay something? There are far too many people who would say, I'm a Christian because one of those three categories. The only reason that you and I are Christian is because of the grace of God through the Son, Jesus Christ. We can't miss that in this gospel proclamation. He's calling them to something more, something deeper, something, yes, difficult, but so meaningful. He's calling them to devote their lives to this call, everything about it, life on life for life. This great commission that he is calling them to in this moment is the embodiment of the great commandment. Do you guys remember when, when Jesus was, was on earth before he was crucified? He was asked a question. They were trying to trick him. The, the Pharisees and the scribes were trying to trick him. And they said, hey, of all the commandments, what's the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. But then he said, the second one is just like it, meaning it holds the same weight. And it's to what? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So to love God and to love people, that's the great commandment. And the great commission is how you live both of those out. The reason we live our lives out for the glory of God, because we love him and we love people. It's hard to say we love God if we don't obey what he's told us to do. It's hard to say that we actually love people if we don't offer to them the greatest love that the world has ever known. So if, to be clear, the Great Commission, the one that all the laws of the prophet hang on, is to love God and to love people. To actually love God and love people is to fulfill the greatest commission. To make disciples, to go as you are going, to baptize and to teach them all that we have been commanded. Church family, 
that's going to take longer than a day. Discipleship is life on life for life. It is long, and that's why I say that's the part that hangs us up. Because in our discipleship efforts, we like the idea of making it clean. You know, I got a, I got a dinner tonight at 5, and then, then I got some plans at 9, and so maybe I could squeeze you in between. Hey, let's have a 30-minute meeting at, at 6.30, and then I'd love to tell you about Jesus then. That's not discipleship. That's a meeting talking about discipleship. All right, maybe, maybe this helps. He's talking, Christ is talking to disciples, the men and women that he has invited into his life for three and a half years. They have walked with him every single day. They have watched him. They have been taught by him. They, they have had questions for him. But every day they were together doing life together. That's how Jesus made disciples. And if he is our standard, what makes us think we can do it differently? You say, Josh, where are you going with this? I'm just telling you, the call to make disciples is a massive call. It is far bigger than anything that we can do in and of ourselves. But praise God, we aren't called to do it alone. We have one another, and better still, we have him. You know, Matthew's gospel began with the announcement of Emmanuel. You know, we, we read that, that line at Christmas. What's Emmanuel mean again? God with us. What's the last promise in Matthew? God with us. It is clear that God is and will always be with his people. No matter the task that he calls them to, they're never alone. Church, we are never alone in the magnitude of this life that God has trusted to us. We can trust that he is good. So we learned last week that what God calls us to will always be bigger than us because God is going to get the glory when it's successful. But if we forget this truth, that the Great Commission is bookended by two incredible prophecies, all power and authority has been given to me, and I am with you until the very end. What does that mean for us? If God is with us and he has all power and authority and we are walking into this world, what do we possess? All power and authority in heaven and on earth through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We are not alone. But the enemy wants you to think you are. He wants you to think this is, this is reserved, this commission is reserved for preacher types or teacher types or the holy roller types. It's not made for me. No, listen to me. Go back and research who his disciples were. They were not seminary trained. They were fishermen who couldn't hardly ever get it right, but God was gracious to them and God used them to turn the world upside down. It wasn't because of what they brought to the table. It's because of what God put in them. You say, Josh, what do you mean by that? Well, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. So as you're turning there, what will we be? What kind of church will Broadmoor Baptist Church be? We are a great commission church. We are a united family of faith. 
joining Jesus on his mission for the glory of God and the good of our communities. That is our mission statement. That is how we, this local faith family, will embark on this mission in our life. What will we do? Acts chapter one, verse eight says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. Church, what will we do? We will give good and faithful witness to what we have seen, what we have heard, and what we have personally experienced. And we will do it as we are going. We will make disciples of all nations starting first in our homes. Please don't miss this. We don't start making disciples at the ends of the earth. That's where we're heading. Disciple making starts in your house with the people that God has already trusted to you. And you say, Josh, that's too much. I'd rather go to the end of the earth than to disciple my family. I told you, God said, Jesus said, all power and authority has been given to him and he's with you to the end of the age. You can look your wife in the eye and love her. You can look at those kids who are always mad at you and love them. Oh, church family, that is the sweet spot. That's where discipleship starts. It starts in the home. Then it goes to the church. Then it goes to the city. Then it goes to the state. Then it goes to the country. Then it goes to the world. As we are going about our life, leveraging what God has trusted to us, we make disciples there. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that we have been commanded and we now obey. Church, we will give good and faithful witness to what we have seen, heard, and personally experienced. We will commit our lives as a church family to care, guide, and encourage. We will care for anyone, listen to me, anyone and everyone that God places in our path. Josh, do you really mean anyone? Because there's some certain, mm -mm, anyone, here's why. Because everyone was created with the Imago Dei. Everyone was created in the image of God, therefore they have value. And so if God has trusted them to you by allowing them to cross your path, you are going to care for them, meet their needs, love them in the name of Jesus Christ. Then you are going to guide them in the word of God. This book will be not only what guides our lives, but this book will be what guides our conversations. We will care. We will guide them through the word of God. And we will encourage them to take next steps of obedience in their relationship with Jesus Christ. But as our worship team comes back out, and I don't want you to miss this, because I think this is where the decision time comes in today. Thinking through the fact that we are great commission people. Like everybody, I'm convinced. I'm convinced with all that I am. Every born-again person, your job on this planet while you have time left is to be a disciple-maker, okay? Your job while you have time left is to give a good and faithful witness to what you have seen, what you have heard, and what you've experienced. I believe that with all that I am, but here's what I wrestle with, okay? Hear me out. 
You can't give a faithful witness to what you have not seen or heard or personally experienced. I am afraid that where we live, this, this kind of deep religious area of the world, that you can believe you're okay because you met the three categories we talked about earlier. You said something. Maybe you were seven. The preacher told a scary story. Your grandma said you couldn't eat her pork chop. So you went down front and talked to the preacher and you cried. And you said the sinner's prayer. Preacher turned around and told the church, and church said, Woo! We love little Johnny. Good job. You're happy because seemingly you got fire insurance and you get a pork chop. It's a good day. But now you're 50 and nothing's ever changed between 7 and 50. You can't give good faithful witness to anything you've seen because you've never seen God working because your eyes have never been opened. You can't say what you've heard because your ears have been shut to the word of God in your life. And there's no way you can tell somebody what you've experienced because right now you've never experienced any movement of God. But you've said something. You paid something. You're a part of something. I'm not asking you today, church, what did you do? The question I want to ask you today is, what has Christ done for you? What has he done in your life that has changed you, that has brought you from death to life? Like, how, how does that play out in your life? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? How are you experiencing it? And if you say, Josh, I'm getting nervous right now because I don't know if I've ever heard, seen, or experienced God do anything in my life. Listen to me. If you have breath in your body, don't be afraid. Be overjoyed that God is offering salvation to you today. So what do you do? You repent of your sin and you put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that the Lord raised him again and you will be saved. That is the good news of the gospel. Okay, and you may say, all right, Josh, I feel like I'm a believer or I'm not. I'm going to deal with that in a second. Here's the second part I think that's hard for us. It's really difficult to make disciples if we don't do life with other people. I know we say a lot, man, life group is where you know and be known. We're not just pitching that because it's church. Like really, that's where life is for you. That's where the life of the church happens. But maybe you're saying, well, Josh, I don't, I don't meet in that one hour. I got other people in my life. You just need people. You need godly men and women in your life speaking truth over you, holding you accountable to what the Lord is calling you to do. It's really hard to make a disciple if you're not around people. So, as we come to the conclusion of this sermon and we move into this response time, you say you're a church who loves God and loves people? How do you plan to live it out? The Great Commission has been given to each and every one of us. It's not something you need to sign up for. It's not something, really, you need all that much training in. 
It's this opportunity that as you are going, living out the life that God has trusted to you, you have a unique opportunity and call on your life to give good and faithful witness to what God has done for you, for your family. And then when the time comes, you offer the invitation the invitation I just gave in this room, you offer it to the lost and beg God that they may be found. And God in his grace, if he saves them, when he saves them, you spend the rest of your life doing life with them. Enjoy the ride. This is where deep and lasting community happens. Church, this is the type of church I pray that we will be. We'll be a place where everybody is welcome a place where it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. Because Jesus Christ changes us from the inside out. So I wanna to offer to you the opportunity for a response this morning. I'll be down front, there'll be other people down front. Maybe you just wanna come and pray at the altar. But ask the Lord today, how will you engage in the call that's been placed on your life and the call issued through this local faith family? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We know we did nothing to get it. We do nothing to keep it. That it is in your grace alone that you have saved us. So Lord, I pray, I pray across this room for those, those here today that, that, are, that are, are struggling with maybe some of the things that were brought up this morning. Maybe when they were young, they, they, they said something or did something or, or they've been tithing for, for a long time. Maybe they have a church membership here, but they would say, if they are honest, nothing has ever changed about my life. There is no affection for God, no love for his word. God, I pray that you would show them where they are and how to be born again. God, help us see who we are, but more so, God, help us see who you are and help us to respond rightly. We wanna be a church home that loves you and loves people. We wanna be a church home committed to making disciples that make more disciples. So help us to respond rightly right now. Lord Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?